For June 19th, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 781. Fast 10. Your seatbelts. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are usually your smart, funny friends from the internet, but this week... We're your smart, funny family. I'm Matt Rather. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that sound is, is someone. We'll get to him. But first, in alphabetical order, mm-hmm. Matt Belinky is here. Hey, Matt, how are you? You made one mistake. You didn't take my microphone. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. Fresh off, uh, fresh off a sabbatical uh, following the brilliant conclusion of his uh, Overthinking Eurovision YouTube series, which Matt writes and produces. Uh, you know, it's great to have you. Great to have you back on the, uh, the podcast. I, I almost didn't want to watch this movie because so much of it takes place in Europe that I felt like it was Eurovision adjacent. I, I didn't like, like half of this movie is in Portugal, which I did not have on my bingo card for fast X. <laughs> and we have Pete Fensel. Hey Pete, how are you? If you can't keep up, don't step up. As long as we're doing Riddick quotes and pretending they're Fast and the Furious quotes, for sure. <laughs> we, um, we, uh, yeah. So, so, like, uh, let's dive in. We want to talk about the hot, the hot movies. Obviously, this is a franchise that's that's you know meant uh, that's meant a lot to us. It's like it, it's it's great to see a more human take on these superheroes. And sometimes when one man moves so quickly, he's like a kind of flash. You know, it's like, uh, whether, whether by, uh, accident or by science, by engineering, he's, he's gained the power to move, uh, to move so quickly. But, you know, uh, sometimes there, there, that person has some, uh, problems in their personal life that lead to, uh, <laughs> That's all. That's all I got in prepping my uh, prepping my uh, alienating and the, the and Flash and the Furious, the courtroom <laughs> drama about Ezra Miller. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. No, we're talking about fast. What fast X? Fast yes. ten? Uh, Your seatbelts. <laughs> so we haven't done it. We haven't done a Furious movie since seven. Right? They were Furious at seven. Uh, right. Fast Five, Furious Six, Seven was called. Well, okay, wait. No, 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 no. No, we no thought it should have been seven. called Furious Six. When we podcasted about Fast the Furious Six, we speculated that really it should have been called Furious. Six. I thought that. I thought that phrase appeared on screen. I thought that text it appeared. Did. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, <laughs> right. But it, yeah, it appeared on screen. But I don't think it was the the title of the it movie. Was the official this. marketing title. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess, yeah, you know, because obviously objective truth exists about fictional art and it, it had a definitely true title for these true events that took place. Right. But yes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Furious 6, for sure, because that was the vibe. That was the vibe. All right. Uh, so, uh, fast 10. so, you know, the the Fastiverse, all spoilers, all books, including uh, including um, what uh, Hobbs and Shaw and uh, anything, anything adjacent to the the whole the whole oh. cinematic universe now pete's theory well, well it's, it's related to but distinct from the downton abbey moment theory of uh theory of filmmaking where there is a you know seemingly irrelevant conversation about something trivial that actually is a a kind of thesis statement for the uh for the whole piece uh this has to do uh, primarily with the the work of 
uh, filmmaker Justin Lin or in in films where he has a, a major creative uh, major creative input, and that is that there is a governing spatial relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's something that can be expressed visually that has to do with how the characters, you know, uh, uh, with the the theme of the movie, with the kind of the project artistically, creatively of the movie, and how the you know how the characters relate to each other and uh, and relate to the world. Pete, I can't wait to hear uh what what this one uh what this one is so you know pete find your line uh, feel the car and uh and let it fly and uh, let us know so it is funny right because you all saw that scene they had the scene in the movie which is the analogy to the first not the first scene but to the scene from furious seven where uh, Paul Walker tells his son that cars can't fly when yep. he drops his toy car out of the minivan. And right. then the whole rest of the movie is about cars falling off of things and then also about death and, and, like, and like falling <laughs> off of the thing, falling off of the big thing, right? Which is, I think is a Raymond Chandler book that he uh. they got shelved. They only got published after his death. Um, it's not, it's no big sleep. Uh, oh, no, that was that was that Raymond Chandler. Yeah, I think it is Raymond Chandler. Never mind. I'll let that joke lie. But yes. So so the Justin Lin, we've had the drifting right for Tokyo Drift and we've had the cars can't fly. Right. And this one, we have that scene where they talk about the concept of driving that's going to be informing all of the character beats in the movie, which I was just so pleased that they put it in there. I kind of hope that, that Justin Lane, even though he only worked on like this movie, this movie shooting for two weeks, that he still had a lot to do with it. Uh, he probably, I mean, if they were shooting for two weeks, they'd done a ton of storyboarding and, and had probably mapped out a whole bunch of the sequences already. Right. So it's not like he had no, no say in it, but um, while he does say, you know, pick your line and feel the car. I think we all know what the cars were really doing on the driveway when he was talking about that, right? Like there were the little remote control cars. You guys noticed, right? What the is, what the cars were doing? Yeah, what were the what was the kids' remote control car doing on the driveway in the first scene where Vin Diesel was talking about? Uh, well, wasn't that right line? after he does like drifting in the parking lot? They're yes, doing, exactly. They're doing yes, donuts, donuts in the yeah. Yes. They're doing donuts so in the, the parking lot the of donuts. Dodger Stadium. This is the Donuts movie, but it's not only it's Fast and the Furious Donuts, uh, Fast Donuts, you might even want to call it. But it's not just Donuts. It's doing Donuts and leaping out of your car and landing in another car that is also doing Donuts. <laughs> right? Right. <As> it, <laughs> I, I guess here's here's the thing. It feels yeah. like there's a disconnect between what he's attempting to teach his son in the first scene and then what he is asking his son to do at the climax of the movie, which is just to jump out of a movie car. Yes. Um, yes. And but is there a dis? Or, or am I just not understanding it? It feels like that first scene is setting up something where the son is going to have to do some sort of rudimentary driving to be like initiated into the world of fast by getting behind the wheel of something and and performing because like what what the donuts thing establishes that even though the kid is is what I mean, first of all the kid. Uh, very accurately establishes how much time has passed, right? Because that kid is born is a is like an infant in the events of Fast Eight, right? That kid is strapped the, to Jason Statham when he yes. jumps out of an airplane. Yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> and so this is this has been you know so this is like seven or eight years uh, has passed, and so even though he is you know still in second or third grade, he is able to drive a car somehow. I, I got to imagine that there's like a almost like a little rascal style. There's like a like a, a bunch of building blocks that are like duct taped to the to the pedal of that car that allows the kid to be able to like actually drive. 
Um, but then it's like, there's no follow up that the kid does not have to drive. All the kid has to do is trust Vin Diesel and Vin Diesel tells him when to do it. The kid has no autonomy during that scene. It's just a, a leap of faith, so to speak. And well, it's not even faith in the car. It's just faith in Vin Diesel. That line is a, is a red herring. I think, I think that you shouldn't pay that line, even though it's repeated, I feel like it's one of the, I don't want to call it imperfections because the movie is totally perfect. But one of the imperfections of the movie is that uh, that scene makes a lot of different points that are offering sort of organizational ways of talking about the character beats and structures of the story, which is like what these movies are doing. These movies do to make their action scenes meaningful, but it's not feel the car, find the line and let it fly. That's really the thing that's important, I think. And I'm, I'm saying this because I feel like, it's natural to pick that as the thing that's important. But I think the thing that's important because it's the thing that's reinforced by what you see rather than by what you hear is the, the donuts, first of all, and also the concept that, you know, you may not think you're moving, but the finish line and the starting nine are not in the same place. That's another concept he introduces at that point, right? Like the finish line and the starting line and the finish line are not at the same place. And so there's this juxtaposition of like the car is spinning around. And so in the first initial moments of minutes of the movie, we get this three times, right? Three big times. We get the camera spins around Jason Momoa in the sort of CGI created, uh, you know, uh, Ed Bellamy fast lane bullet time shot that happens at the end of the intro <laughs> sequence, right? Uh, with Tiffany Amber Thiessen being like, make sure you don't scratch this Dodge Viper. You sure thing. Let's text message. Uh, if you watch that show, I hope you appreciate those references. But anyway, then, and you watch Jason Momoa stare out the tunnel that's been bored through his, the bank with the safe from fast five. Right. So like there's the, the spinning around Jason Momoa. And then there's just this tunnel in which Jason Momoa is going to leave the story of fast five, which is like the, you know, sort of Buddhist eternity that he lives in as a worldly person, right? Like he's, he's always going to be there being the son of the uh, crime boss of Rio de Janeiro. Right. But then there's this like tunnel gets bored, uh, you know, gets ripped through the loop and he leaps out of the loop or is thrown out of the loop and he ends up in a different loop, which is the Fast and Furious movies, which are always going around and around and around at this point, right? And then the second one is, uh, you know, the cars on the driveway. Well, the second one is the donuts he's doing in the parking lot. And then the third one is the remote control cars on the driveway. So we've we've had these sort of like, you know, the donuts and then um, and there's so many other ones where people are like jumping out of cars, right, uh, and, and sort of leave the story. Right. Like like they're in a story and then they jump out of a car and then they're in a different story, uh, which seems to be kind of what's feels like it's going on more than this idea of like feel the car, because, yeah, you're you're leaping out of a moving car. Right. Like it's not like you can do it well. (laughs) Right. Like 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 we have to we have to have a certain amount of faith, I think, watching this movie that people who leap out of moving cars don't always die. And in fact, often don't die or even are not that injured uh, because it just happens so often to characters that we have to assume are not dead, such as uh, mini Clint Eastwood. Right. Like we have to assume he's not dead. Well, I mean, he's another like, guy uh, like, like uh, you can you can leap out of a moving plane and fall, yes. uh, you know, fall <laughs> many, many thousands of feet, presumably to your death. In slow, in a beauty shot, in slow motion, and yeah. you fall so low that you are somehow under the ocean and uh, pop up in a submarine later. I mean, if I were to guess, I would say that in the next story, I mean, the son has to survive, and the son probably has to be by himself, right? Like Dom has to have been like washed away, 
or no one knows where he is. And then on the third day, he'll come back. Yeah. Right. Because if he like gave his cross to his followers, right? Like, you know, so well, I mean, we, we could speculate at the end of the pot. There's any yeah, number yeah. of people who could rescue him. There's the kid from, uh, from, uh, Tokyo drift. There's, uh, Jason Statham's sister who is nowhere to be found, probably confined to the Hobbs and Shaw averse. I, some, something tells me that like she's contractually unable to appear in mainline fast and furious movies. Yeah. It's sort of like the, the Sony Marvel deal where it's like certain characters can appear in venom, but only in venom. Yeah. There's like uh, complicated licensing deals between different people who work on these movies that don't like each other. Yeah, but, exactly. But Pete, I want, I wanted to go back to the line yeah. about about what is it feel the car find yeah. your line and let it fly because yeah. i wanted to sort of compare and contrast with and, and i i have not looked up the actual line i am a big fan of speed racer the 2008 yes. uh speed racer and there is a similar mantra that is brought in very early in speed racer where uh rex speed's older brother is teaching him a very similar driver like, like speed is like maybe like seven or eight and rex has him in the car and is giving a philosophical speech about driving but it's the the emphasis is different because in Speed Racer, it's almost like the car will talk to you. The car will tell you what it needs. The car will tell you what it wants. And you need to be a servant to the – to be a driver means to, like, listen to your car and respect your car and to do what the car wants you to do. Almost almost like uh, – and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one of your personal favorites is Hidalgo. Yeah, right? yeah. But it's not so much about, like, you bossing around the car. It's about you understanding the car on a very deep – and and psychic level, right? Yeah. And th- there's oh, a scene can't be broken. Yes, exactly. Right, and there's there's a scene that the payoff of that is like very late in Speed Racer, where like his car like completely stalls out, and you know it seems like he is out of the race, and he like closes his eyes and goes into communion with the car, and then does some like very complicated piece of shifting where he like gets the car to miraculously turn back on because he listens to the. I think he actually says like, "What do you need? What do you need? What do you need?" And then he figures it out. Whereas I feel like in Fast and the Furious, it's always been clear that the cars are the extension of the driver's will and there's no clearer um expression of that than like the more physically powerful the driver is the more powerful the car will be um you know i think i think the the ultimate example of that is in fast eight where vin diesel's car is harpooned by i think like four or five other cars all of his <laughs> all of his team members and because vin diesel is such a you know, both both physically, but also just like a psychically powerful, fi- you know, yeah. a larger than life godlike figure. Yeah. His car somehow flips over many, many other cars. Right, his yeah. car is just is, and 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 you get he's it a, a little bit. He's a primarch, man. What are you going to do, right? He's got the power of the emperor of mankind <laughs> behind him, or something. Yeah, exactly. And, and you get it a little in this movie with the, <laughs> the two helicopters, right? That like, you know, by sheer physics. The helicopter should be able to easily lift his car off the ground. But because of Vin Diesel – and then, of course, whenever these moments happen, it always involves the driver, like, gritting his teeth and grunting, almost <laughs> as if he is pulling. But it's – I think it's very well established that, like, cars are just extensions of the driver's body, right? That, like, you catch people with cars. You throw people with cars. You bat around a ball with cars. And so it's like cars become – uh, not a machine that you're operating, but just like almost like it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's bonded with you. And like, you know, the more, the, the stronger and more confident and more powerful you are, the stronger your car will be regardless of like, whether it is, it is, uh, what the horsepower are, you know, that, that, that particular description lends a special new, uh, resonance to the tableau of Dom Toretto flying through the air in, uh, six 
and grabbing Letty in midair between the two highway bridges, right? Because it's like, oh, they're jumping from one car to another car. But what's really happening is they've both kind of left their own bodies and found communion in this sort of interstitial celestial space, right? Which is a sort of metaphor or symbol for their uh, emotional and sexual congress. Uh, yeah, like the, the <laughs> most the most intimate and and risky and emotionally raw that you could do it fast is to leave your car. Yeah. And so yeah. the fact that they that he leaves the car and then they land safely on another car is like this ultimate almost like a metaphysic like a like it's being like born again. Right. Yeah, like once yeah, you yeah. leave your car, it's like a form of death. Yeah. You leave your car, you leave your story. I mean, yeah, I've already made the comparison to to Buddhist cosmology, right? This this sort of the being in constant rebirth and that sort of cycle and like how do you break out of it? Like Groundhog Day is is a Fast X is, is Groundhog Day is a pre, is a prequel to Fast X because it's about somebody whose car is doing donuts and figures out a way how to of leaping out of the car and landing in a different car, like spiritually. Uh, and, and so you have a bunch of similar relationships like that in this movie. Well, what are the some of the characters in this movie that do you feel like they're kind of dying and being reborn? I mean, do you think I guess I mean, we don't want to we could speculate now, but you said you want to speculate later. Do you think John Cena makes it out of this alive? No, I I mean, would, this was this was the end of his contract was <laughs> this was like <laughs> I've, I've definitely heard people speculate that one of the conditions of The Rock returning to the series was killing off John Cena because John Cena was brought in as the replacement for The Rock. <laughs> and that it's some sort of a, a petty thing where it's like, if you like kill off John Cena on screen, I will then appear in the next movie. But like, I won't be second banana to John Cena. In that um, sense, the character is the wrestler and the wrestler has leapt from of, one body to another in, in these movies. <laughs> it, oh, did, man. it did feel very... It, it felt very tacked on, right? Yeah. That, oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it, be, because I, it was hard for me to imagine that there was no other way out of that scenario besides a mortal sacrifice. Like yeah. it wasn't that much. Like, like we've seen them drive their way out of of situations like that without having to lay down their lives in the past. So it really did feel like maybe like mid production, it became clear that they wanted to create a, c a scenario where like at least Cena could plausibly be written out. Like they, they weren't sure if he could come back for the next one. So they wanted to like give it a scenario where, you know, if he doesn't come back, that's okay. Right. Um, so, so more specifically then the kid is reborn. The kid has the journey of being a child under the care of others. And then has the moment of rebirth where he has to leap out of his uncle's car into his father's car. Uh, and the uncle is sort of the babysitter and he's sort of from the mother's space. And then he, and he travels into the father's space. And then once he's in the father's space, his life is on the line and he is sort of on the front lines. And that's where he's going to be expected to grow up, I guess, is, is yeah. sort of what that transformation might mean. I guess we definitely have Cypher, right? She leaps out of one, you know, leaps out of one uh, situation into another. Uh, I, I think when uh, when when Cipher and uh, and Letty leave the Antarctic Research Station, <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. they're sort of like they're very they're like exposed. Right. They're like highly, highly exposed when they when they leave the Antarctic Research Station. It, uh, it really does seem like they're doing the classic fast thing where Cipher is going from being an antagonist to a member of the family. But yeah. it's going to be very difficult, sort of like in a Justice for Han situation. Like there's there's no way that you can like share a bear with Jason Statham until Han is back alive. 
right? Because right. otherwise, like some things, like you do things and they're unforgivable, such as shooting Elena in the face, like right in front of her baby, <laughs> right? <laughs> And so, like, it it is not beyond the realm of possibility that Elena's still alive, but it is right. it's hard to imagine them going. The only reason to go there is just if they really want to get Charlize at the barbecue. Um, well, right. And the only way to do that is just be like, oh, you actually didn't do. But she, like, tried to blow up. Didn't she launch a nuclear weapon? <laughs> These were This was a couple of movies ago, man. Who remembers? <laughs> well, right, that's, I mean, that is, that is interesting. But no, you're I, a good point. No, Matt, you have, you have more recall for the, the actual characters and details of this, this film franchise than the people who make this film franchise. No, I, I don't want to dismiss it. I mean, Matt is making a good point. No, though. he does. He absolutely, it absolutely I'm not, I'm not does. sure that they actually are going to go with the total. Like, I don't think that she's actually going to become buddy, buddy with her. I think that this is sort of like, I could easily see her trying to double cross them at the end and they like end up, you know, in the rock rearrest her. And it's just sort of like, you know, nice, you know, it's like a, a temporary alliance with Megatron when they have to defeat Omicron. But like right. Megatron's not their buddy. They're not they're, like Optimus Prime is not going to share a beer with Megatron. Right. Well, well, because they put her in a separate space is what they did. So she's going to have to deal with Giselle, I think, is the way that it works. Right. It's that Cypher isn't joining the family. She's joining the side quest, not the side quest, but the sort of side group. She's she's uh, she's going to the Velt to go towards the ghost train. She's not riding down the river. Somebody uh, said, one of the things that struck me about this movie is it is entirely possible that Vin Diesel did not meet up with any members of the cat. I think the only <laughs> one that he was clearly on screen with is Han at right. the very beginning. Uh, you know, like, like they meet in the garage and I mean, yeah, like there's a scene where like he's at the barbecue, but like those shots could have easily been, you know what I mean? Like maybe barring like a couple days of shooting, he was off in a separate, you know, B unit by himself did and, you ta- and did not interact with anyone. Well, else. I mean, it's, it would be called the D unit, obviously, but the, you know, the, <laughs> right. the um, you know, the, uh, but did, did you catch the detail when they were at the, the opening barbecue that they, that, uh, you know, Rita Moreno was standing there, uh, addressing everybody at the, you know, as the kind of the matriarch of this family who we've never met before or really heard about, but this, it's just wonderful how they, how they spin lore out of, out of whole cloth or out of nothing. They're like the, the Rumpelstiltskin of the, uh, uh, of, you know, the filmmaking, um, the filmmaking enterprise, but that at the other end of the table, Vin Diesel didn't sit down. You know, even though it was totally appropriate for his character at the foot of the table to be like seated while uh, grandma is making a speech while Abuelita is like holding forth. Um, the, uh, I, and I was like, th- there was probably a meeting about that. Maybe that's what, uh, happened between <laughs> Vin and Justin Lin, <laughs> right? Yeah. When he quit that, when he quit the movie, right? Like maybe that's the, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not going to sit down at the table. What I don't sit down at these barbecues. It, it weakens me, you know. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Ask, is there a significance to the fact that, like, we've never heard a single word about his mom? Right? That, like, we don't know anything. She might still be alive for all we know. Oh, that that's, that's interesting. You think they're going to pull her out at some point? I, I almost feel like they they keep characters like that in reserve just in case they get like, just in case it turns out Meryl Streep loves these movies and Meryl Streep wants to be in it. They're like, great. We have a, we have a character that was reserved for like an older female actress. And, uh, we can, 
you know, uh, we could tap you for that, but it's, I don't know. I mean, I've definitely heard conspiracy theories where like, she's the ultimate big, you know, she's like the, the shadowy figure who was like, you know, giving orders to Idris Elba and hops his shower. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dom's mom. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I don't, it is. Sense. I mean, it makes sense. They could do Does it. it I, I don't. Yeah. Fast well, 11 I mean, Dom's mom. Dom's I mean, mom's the bomb. I, so do, I, I did really enjoy Reacher attempting to summarize all these movies in a way that makes sense. So he's like, so back in 2001, there's still DVD players, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> they saved the world from nuclear annihilation. They basically yeah. do all the wet work for the CIA. Yeah. So you, by Reacher, you're talking about Alan Richardson, a.k.a. Tad from Blue Mountain State. <laughs> yeah. And he, <laughs> a.k.a. from Hunger Games 2, right? Like, a.k.a. But he's the new Reacher guy. He's the big Reacher. Uh, I love that guy. He's great. He's the uh, bi- yes, he's the big Reacher. <laughs> he's so funny. Is he really funny in Reacher? I haven't watched any Reacher. Yeah. Um, she, Reacher yeah, is, is pretty funny. Excellent. Because he's a very funny guy, despite being huge. So uh, his his spinoff movie, Blue Mountain State, The Rise of Tadland, was not, I think, tremendously successful. Um, though he has been the voice of Raphael, the Ninja Turtle, on more than one occasion. I saw that when um, I was looking when I was looking it up. I saw him. <laughs> I I saw him on screen, and I. Uh, uh, I was like, is that Jack Reacher? And I had to go and look. And then I saw his credits included, um, incredi- incredibly included uh, Raphael. So I, uh, I, I couldn't see this movie in the theaters, guys. It was gone from all the, th- all the theaters near me. I saw it this weekend. You, you all saw it the, the day it came. I mean, Pete went to a midnight showing, no doubt. No, I went know? to an after, um, afternoon matinee on Friday. <laughs> I didn't even wait till night. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. great. It was on the big screen. I took a day off from work. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and then Matt sees apparently sees each of these films six times and takes copious notes, which is why he remembers the names of the characters and doesn't just call them, you know, Jordana yeah. Brewster and whatever. I go online. I go deep into the message boards to, like, read people's uh, interesting theories. You know what I found out from somebody who was in a, an early test screening of this movie? So in the the original cut of this movie, there was a revelation at the end that still might – by the way, this might be a spoiler for Fast 11 uh, – that Reacher is actually Jason Momoa's brother. Oh. And, and it's revealed – you can almost see the way they shot it that like they, they re-showed the flashback to the police station. And yeah. in those flashbacks, he's like they're, – they're going in – like he and Jason, uh, Jason Momoa and Jason Momoa's dad is like going into a meeting in a glass-walled office. Yeah. And the meeting is with Reacher – where they like discuss it's like you know you 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 and your psychotic brother are like going into business together and the reason i like that is i almost feel like that's the reason why he waited 10 years to get his revenge that like it, it's it's i mean it's still crazy but it's almost like okay i've got a great plan to get revenge against vin diesel it's gonna require one of us to become the leader of the cia <laughs> and the, other, the other guy's like okay great give me like 10 years and i can i can do that and then then we do the revenge and jason Momoa has just been hanging out just waiting for reacher to slowly get promoted through the bureaucracy <laughs> the uh um, i mean the the what what is the agency what agency is the agency i mean it is like the cia in that it's clandestine but I, it's unlike the CIA. I mean, the CIA is an intelligence gathering organization, right? Like they, they don't do, they don't, they don't have like soldiers, you know, they, they, they don't have the pew pew pews. They have like, you know, I don't know, message drops and they have like, uh, micro dots and like, uh, chalk marks on lampposts and, and pieces of paper folded up in your shoe. Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's what the CIA has. I, I'm not sure who it's supposed to be, but it's, it's definitely, uh, I, I doubt we, we were watching this movie today and, and Christina, 
woman like uh, paused, uh, paused it and she's like, so what agency? And I said, yes. And uh, she said, uh, <laughs> is it like the, the FBI or the CIA or are they like the military? And I said, uh-huh. And she said, no, wait, no, really, what what, what agency is this supposed to be? William Morris. What, what, exactly. What government? Well, now William Morris Endeavor, right? Like, uh, oh, yeah. But the, um, what, uh, what, what governmental agency? And I was like, well, quasi-governmental, right? Because they're, yeah. they're governed by a, a shadow. They're governed by a, a shadowy cabal of, of Zoom caller, Zoom caller. <laughs> windows you know it's the exact guys who are in charge of shield that like that scene in the first avengers yes. when when they have a vote on whether to nuke new york it's the same like the silhouettes yeah it's the people who run um, xcom in the xcom video games my favorite actually one of the most unintentionally funny parts of the movie is when reacher sort of like uh these guys have done some useful work for the agency but they've become a liability because they they almost tried to kill the pope they've they've literally been arrested <laughs> for trying to kill the pope we should cut them loose and brie larson is like for shame this agency used to have loyalty to to its like like secret undercover assets as if as if there's like you know like the whole the whole opening credits of like Mission Impossible is like they're very upfront that like look if you get captured we're going like you're you're dead to us <laughs> and like and like that's not supposed to be a bad thing that's just like part of the game it is interesting Matt, that like, there's a global labor shortage man are you just gonna go find more people who steal DVDs from trucks and become international super spies <laughs> I did I did notice they already that. did that the sixth one and those people are all dead it is a hard <laughs> it is a it is a hard skill set but yeah it is it is interesting to hear Brie Larson kind of play the the like the Eric trump card and be like my father you know it's gonna make, my father is gonna make the agency great again and uh yeah i was i was almost like a little taken aback at the sort of almost the reverential tone that the members of the family talk about mr nobody because i i guess maybe like in my mind there's a difference almost characterized from the opening moments of their relationship where uh, Mr. Nobody tries to offer him like a Belgian beer. Right. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, no, I prefer Corona's. And it's yeah. almost like you and I will never like you are a suit, right? You are like a white collar bloodless bureaucrat and like like we might our interests might temporarily align i just sort of assume that like nobody is going to do whatever is in the national interest or whatever is in the interest of like the you know the whole point is like he doesn't have a name he doesn't have an identity beyond like the mission and i guess i guess what i'm saying is like i feel like in my sort of headcanon that nobody could never really be a member of the family but it's pretty clear that they are treating like he will if if Kurt Russell's schedule allows or if they could get him on green screen for five seconds, he will absolutely show up at a barbecue and pick up a Kuroto be like, ah, oh, this thing ain't too shabby. But, but uh, and like that'll yeah. be the farewell to like that character. But I think wasn't it sort of set up that Mr. Nobody and Dom couldn't really get on the same page, but eventually little nobody played by Scott Eastwood kind of gets along with them a little bit more. Like he was the one that was closer to them and more than their friend. Is supposed to be that like, mis- like little nobody bridges the gap between like family and agency? But then he yeah. gets blown up by a bomb and has to jump out of a car in this movie too. Though but he's, he completely disappeared. Like you feel like yeah, there's a gone, deleted gone? scene. I'm assuming that he is just edgered and or demoted by by Richard. It's like on the run. He's on the run because he realized the agency has been compromised. And I mean, he's going to contact the ludicrous in the next movie and yeah. like set up the little agency. All right. So, so we should just that. start making a list. I think we can make a list of 10 <laughs> possibilities by the end of the okay. podcast. Of yeah, who, yeah. Could, who is going to rescue Vin Diesel from the deluge from the, okay. from the dam. And by the way, I don't, I you don't know want to take it for would, granted he, the dam blows up. The dam might, it might 
not blow up at the last minute because somebody with the tech has like jammed the signal and rescued Vin. So little if you nobody get Cypher back, right? Like, nobody. It depends. Yeah, I'm it, not sure when when the last scene happens when Wonder Woman yeah, pops out of the right. sub- submarine. Like maybe that is like by the way, 36 hours earlier, and now now they're already she's going to show up in All her right. in her like uh, stealth jet or something like that and jam so, jam the signal so from the air. Let's make a list. I think we can get to 10. So so list number one is the submarine crew, which would be Letty, Cypher, and Giselle. Uh, they stop the bombs from exploding, and they they rescue Dom, and they're like, happy to see us, Dom. And they like, like he and Letty have like a very unconvincing kiss. Um, number two could the be the submarine, nobody, The submarine right? comes up the river, comes up the Portuguese <laughs> river, <laughs> and pops out. That, in- would, that would be, somehow like uh, goes down, like the, maybe the dam does explode, but then the submarine sort of surfs down the exploding <laughs> water, and they grab Dom, and the submarine just sort of like uh, gracefully... Hold on uh, to this, little bee. <laughs> so then like number in two a, is in like... In like an like Indiana Jones little- kind of move, yeah. Like little nobody, Mister Nobody. I I believe Brie Larson is shot right now, but even she could be there. So the nobodies. I think number three could be the Shaws. Any number of Shaws, up to it, including yeah. Helen Mirren, right? Yeah. Show up. Um, yes, Don included. Uh, you could. This almost certainly will not happen, but you could have the Tokyo Drift crew, who I believe are like Bow Wow. <laughs> what I'm saying is yeah. Bow Wow saves the day yep. at the beginning of Furious it's Eleven. Sean. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, well, I mean, don't even forget about Tyrese and Ludacris. But they, I feel like if they show up, they're all just going to end up in the same problem, right? Like they'll meet Dom, but then they all need to be. I mean, I guess they could because they were on the planes that supposedly crashed. But you have to believe that they got out of that alive, right? They no, I think they did get out of that alive, but yeah. just timing wise, like they got out of that alive like thirty seconds before the dam explodes. Like, so I think they're still alive, but I don't, I don't know if they have had time to even figure to even realize Dom is a danger. Yeah, I mean, um, my per- my personal headcanon idea now, or like my my theory, is that uh, Fast X Part Two is going to be a sort of Rashomon esque retelling of the events of Fast X One from okay. the perspective of the Rock, where he's going to be going to all the same places and experiencing all of the similar things, just sort of on the he's heels like of just events. off camera. Yeah, yeah, and he's like he's going to have his own thing to do too. He's going to have to go somewhere else. And he's going to have to do a bunch of stuff. But it's almost like a Resident Evil game where like you you follow the first protagonist, right, and then like they get like caught by the zombie, and then you go back, and it's now it's the second protagonist who's stronger, and they go through the game, and then they go and they rescue the first protagonist. Uh, and so, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm thinking specifically about uh, is it Resident Evil Two that does that for the first time? I don't know how many of the Resident Evil games do that. Same it is. Thing. It right. is interesting to think about. Okay, so let's say that you're you're Jason Momoa, you're organizing yeah. revenge, and yes. there are two there are two main people you want revenge on, and one is the guy who stole your dad's money, and the other is the guy who shot your dad in the head. Right. Which guy do you go after first chronologically? You would think you would go after the second one first, right? Because you so would may, want but, his. So maybe he did. That, that, but that plays into your theory, right? That yeah. the last scene that we see, the mid credit scene with the Rock, takes place like a couple weeks before he actually launches the Dom track of his revenge. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's gone, but it's gone sideways since then. Although you would assume that if he's decided to get the rock first and the rock thing hasn't been working well, he's going to delay the whole Dom thing. But maybe he's just like, there's so many contractors involved. There's like, you know, like the, the, the team that's like rigging the remote controlled, uh, 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 you know, 18 wheelers to explode on top of the dam with the, <laughs> You know, you know what's crazy about that plan is like that plan only exists in case like four other plans fail. Yes. <laughs> like plan number one is like I have a bunch of guys in cars that are going to kill you. But if that doesn't work, I have helicopters. 
But if that doesn't work, I have 18 wheelers that are going to ram yep. you off. And if that doesn't work, the entire tab blows up. Yeah. It's sort of like, hush, little baby, don't say a word. Papa's going to ambush you with the secret right, police. Right, exactly. And if the like, secret police get shot, Papa's going to surround you with an armed convoy. And if the armed convoy goes down, Papa's going to surround you with some attack helicopters. And if okay. the attack helicopters get ludicrous, Papa's going to find get something ludicrous. even more ludicrous. <laughs> All right, wait, hold, hold on a second. Because this, this gets to one of my main beefs with this movie, which is that I feel like it's very vague it's a vague MacGuffin. what jason momoa is supposed to actually be after because i think if we take jason momoa at his word up until the point where he blows up the dam he has not tried to kill vin diesel everything that's happened no. so far including like the 18 wheelers trying to hit vin diesel <laughs> is really just making is is meant to make vin diesel sad or stressed yes 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 um it is just i guess so this is basically the Count of Monte Cristo where it's like, what if you had unlimited time and resources to plan your revenge? What would you do? But instead of being like, oh, I'm going to get Vin Diesel thrown into jail forever for like a crime he didn't yeah. commit. It's just that I'm going to get I I don't even know. It feels that like. I, I guess I guess I'm not convinced that this is a really a movie about Jason Momoa trying to get revenge. It no, feels it's not. like. It feels like almost like the the rug pull should be like this is like a diehard with a vengeance scenario where it's like he says he's trying to get revenge, but what he's really trying to do is blow up the dam, and he wants a yeah. he wants a really complicated excuse so that nobody like sees if he's stealing gold from behind the dam. I think Jason Momoa in this movie is best understood as an agent of chaos who is trying to put every character into a different movie. Like he's trying to take every character <laughs> who's currently in one movie and like pick them up by the scruff of the neck and drop them in a different movie. It is. <laughs> I mean, like- the idea, the the idea that you brought up, like jumping from one car to another, and like it's kind of like jumping from from one movie to another. And like there are sort of there are portals in this movie where you like go in one side and you go out go out the other side, and like everything's different. And you you know you sort of said that said that as well. And I love that. I love this as an idea for. Uh, I love this as an idea for this, this character who I found like, I, look, I, I feel like Jason Momoa is the star of every movie that Jason Momoa appears in. Um, right. you know, it's just, uh, He's he's just totally the best. Um, but I like I don't and if know. If you haven't seen C, see it. Sorry, go on. C C C Okay, you know, what? Uh, can you CC me uh, on yes. that? Then? I'll CC you about seeing C if you haven't seen C yet. C C Capiche? <laughs> I see. Uh, the um, but I yeah, I mean the character. I don't know. He he wants to to throw people in different different movies, but did they have to make him so swishy? You know, did they yeah. right like the uh, those. That was my that was my, my main beef with it, right? Like I loved the crazy the the crazy. It it owed something to like Heath Ledger. It owed it yeah. Joker. It owed something to um, hot, Jack Sparrow. Hot, hot, oh, totally Jack Sparrow. Um, it owed something, I think, to I forget the actor's name. Hot priest from Fleabag who played Moriarty and Sherlock. It owes it owes absolutely nothing to the country of Brazil that Brazil <laughs> is supposed to be a part of. It's it funny because like his dad is like a thick Brazilian accent. He's just Jason Momoa. Hi the guys, me- I'm Jason Momoa. 
The one thing that made me feel a little bit better about that was thinking, is this just what Jason Momoa is like? <laughs> is it basically like Jason Momoa will do the movie, but he will take no direction and he will just like, do whatever <laughs> I, will do, I will do your movie, but I will take no direction. Have you seen him on Saturday Night Live? This, Cause is, this is what he does on Saturday Night Live. This is my Versace robe. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the, it's like there's a Saturday Night Live episode where he shows up in like a people's court against, was it against Betty White? Where he was like her kept man. No, no, it was against an elderly Kate McKinnon character. Uh, where he was like he was like bilking an elderly woman by being her like sex companion. And he shows up in like a fur coat or something. Um, it, it, and that felt very similar. That was like a prequel to this character in this movie. And I'm just wondering, like, is this really just like you could just be whatever you want? Or like you could be we're here for you. You can be you. You don't have to be Aquaman for this one. You don't have to be brooding. Or is he like under it's like, oh, no, we were going to make you super kind of anti-masculine because Dom Toretto is super masculine. And that's why Justin Lin quit this movie. too. I mean, I, I do sort of feel like it, it is a change of pace versus like the typical Fast and Furious villain is that like, you know, it's, and it is interesting that like even the John Cena character went through a radical rewrite from the, the in the last movie. He is like a stoic, angry alpha male, uh, much like Jason Statham. You know, much like uh, what, 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 who's Jason Statham's brother? Just like a like a tough, humorless, Gaston. yeah, Gaston, right? Scowling dude. And then both Jason Momoa and John Cena are like very, like really go into a much more comedic register, play against type, where it's like, you know, sure, we're tough, but like we're also silly and, uh, you know, gender fluid. Um. It is interesting that like John Cena, they because his character was pretty well established. But I guess back when he was back when he was being mean, he was a villain, and so it's almost like now that he is a good, now that he's been redeemed, he could be fun. Um, yeah, 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 because he's more fun in this movie than he is in the previous one. Yeah, with a is, little bit of that. Uh, but we've all seen the um, oh, what's his DC character, the one with the great the great show on HBO Max. Oh, Peace Peacemaker. Peacemaker, yeah, exactly. Like we've all seen him as that now. He was right? basically like, Peacemaker. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, a little less, a little less of a of a doofus, right? But like uh, more, more with that, that, um, yeah, that that mentality. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it made change. me feel like it made me think of him as because he has that really weird relationship with kids, right? Where he's done more Make a Wish than anybody else has, and he yeah. is. But he doesn't have any kids of his own. And like people have sort of asked him about it. And he said, like, well, just because you're really good at something doesn't mean you should do it. And, <laughs> and, and, I've, and I've heard it suggested that like he's just experienced too much grief by like meeting too many kids who died. Oh, and that he can't stand to have his own children. <laughs> and, like, just wow. I, don't know, I have no idea that that's true or not. But like hearing that idea it puts it all in like a totally different context, right? Like, uh, and so seeing him with the kid in this movie, trying to make him feel better after his house was attacked by the, the John wick assassins, right? Like, yeah. uh, uh, it made me feel like, Oh, this is, this is, uh, this is make a wish John Cena, right. Who's like making yeah. this kid feel better about this incredibly terrible situation. Right. And little, little B's wish was like, he wanted to like jump out of an airplane and like, yeah. you know, <laughs> 
It is, you know, because the the beef with John Cena back when he was a wrestler is that he never was the heel, like almost contractually, right? He couldn't be because he had done so much with kids that like the company would not let him do anything evil on screen. And the fans were really harsh on John Cena for, I would say, most of his wrestling career uh, and would just boo him and boo him and boo him because I guess they felt that he was boring, right? That he was just always this sort of G.I. Joe type uh, he-man. I mean, a rapper, uh, which was also pretty silly. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. It, it way back in the Attitude Era, you know, with like, still, you know, 1999, 2000, 2001, he was like an Eminem clone. But then, like, he, he settled into this, like, much more, right, this, this you know, just sort of uh, uh, square-jawed uh, Captain America type dude. Um, but it is, and, which is why it was funny, like, when he was cast as the villain in the last movie, and, and almost the guarantee that, like, by the end of the movie, he was going to flip. Like there was, there was no question that like he, he couldn't actually be a villain at heart. He was just a misunderstood good guy. Right, right, right. Um, but I guess, I mean, just to look at Jason Momoa's evil plan, like, let's say the bomb had killed the Pope. Um, or, <laughs> Which, or let's say you I, wondered, you wondered if they could raise the stakes in this movie, and I feel like while it's hard to raise them in a linear way, like I was not disappointed by the uh, neutron <laughs> bomb, the neutron bomb rolling down the street at the Pope like a bocce ball. But I guess I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm supposed to be looking at any of this logically, but it's like, no. how does any of that even come back to this? this team like if you wanted to frame Vin Diesel for something like is it even clear after the events in Italy that those guys would be because like it everyone saw the ball roll out of a truck that has like I don't know US government logos on the side that says like valuable computer parts (laughs) like if you uh, yeah and uh, the irony is if you wanted to frame Vin Diesel all you had to do was boost some DVDs uh, yeah. <laughs> that would be so good if there's like a copycat uh and they're and using like, yeah they're using honda civics with like green lighting under the, like, there's, there's only one man johnny tran johnny tran hates him he'll build testify oh johnny <laughs> tran oh that's a deep cut yeah <laughs> i like i i was trying to explain this this film to christina before we sat down to watch it and i was like much like magic mike the first installment is a, a slightly alienating art film uh right. about like about an outsider kind of subculture you know struggling to survive against forces of eradication you know and then it becomes a giant a giant franchise with uh with you know men who take steroids like waggling uh waggling everything in your face right and we, which is basically the point of Rita Moreno's speech which is like wow you guys have come a long way <laughs> um, like yeah. Your dad would be proud of you, I guess. <laughs> it's all, but it's unclear that he I mean, I guess. I mean, who wouldn't be proud of Vin Diesel? But it does yeah, one of the curious things about this is that the the first missions that they do for the government are so, so all right, so let's recount. So the the rock gets them to do a very particular mission because they 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 need to drive against a, a driving based uh gang of terrorists right? Right, right and then the next one is just sort of like they're only involved because somebody's coming after them right they're not they're not like mercenaries for hire but they they uh, Jason Statham is blowing up their houses uh so they need to join forces to come after talk- them so the first one you're talking about was 6 Cause yeah, they, yeah, because they're all drivers. Then in seven, that's the reve- That's when right. Jason Statham is hunting them, and that's the horror one. That's like 
that's when they have to escape from him constantly right. trying to. But what I'm saying is, down. Seven is very much not a movie where like they are in the business of taking missions for right. money, right? Yeah. Like Seven is just sort of like we are trying to protect our families, and Eight is Eight is once again. No, I guess at the beginning of Eight they. No, I, I don't even think they're taking a mission for money. They're going after Mr. Nobody because they love Mr. Nobody, right? They're like, oh, no, Mr. Nobody is missing. We got to go help him because he's a friend. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I believe that this movie is the first time that it becomes clear that they're just taking on missions for fun and or profit. Right. Yes. Like, the government is like, yo, do you want to do something else? And they're like, sure, why not? Yeah. Well, because as you remember, I think at the end of Fast Five, they all have all their money. Right. And they're like, how are you right. going to spend all this money? And it's like Ludacris is like, I'm going to start a business. And Tyrese is like, I'm going to get a bunch of strippers, you know, like whatever it is that they say that they're going to do. Um, and then it's like and then the money is all gone in the next installment and they have to get more money or something like that. Uh, but, yeah, no, this, the, the part of the beginning where it's like, oh, yeah, we got to go save the computer stuff that's being stolen in Rome. I think it's supposed to give you this sense that this has become routine for them. The, yeah, the, I, the car is doing donuts, right? They're just doing those adventures over and over again all over the place. But I think um, I think that's significant because for the the last series of movies, there is like a very personal reason why they're doing any of these things at all. And there's almost a suggestion that like these people would all prefer to just enjoy their cars and hang out, you know, and, and drink beer. Right. Yeah. But like they have to do this stuff because like my brother is evil and he's coming after me or like Vin Diesel himself is evil and has betrayed us. And like we need to take it. We need to all work together to take him down because we have a responsibility. But like this is the first movie where it's sort of like this is what we've been doing for years now. Right. Like yeah. little B is seven. And all this time we've been doing black ops for the government. Although yeah. I think it's I think it's interesting that there's still this very vague suggestion almost harkening back to Ocean's 11 in a way that's like you notice nobody carries a gun and none of their plans involve like obviously people get killed but people get killed as collateral damage. People don't right. get killed like they're not uh they're not murdering people uh as part of their business and i think that was even like a minor plot point in fast seven where like vin diesel and mr nobody talk and they're sort of like you and i can kill people that need to be killed but like the rest of the team they won't or they shouldn't have to um right. Right. and they're just, not killers they're drivers yeah i just think it's yeah. interesting that they're, they're doing all this dirty work for the government but it's always like this, this vehicular even though like i mean i'm pretty sure two movies ago there was like a plot that involved a massive wrecking ball just taking out cars <laughs> in a way that would be instantly fatal um yes. And yet, I mean, I, I I did think it was funny that they went out of their way to say that there were zero fatalities for the Italy thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you guys caught that, that there was like a news piece and they're like miraculously, almost as if the Pope was overseeing the whole thing. Yeah. Nobody was killed by the yeah. giant rolling ball on fire, all the cars driving down the streets or the neutron bomb explosion in the in the river in, in central Italy. Right. Meanwhile, Everybody's fine. Yeah. Meanwhile, John McFour, it's like 15 people were killed in traffic accidents around right. the Arc to Trayompton last night. And <laughs> no one knows why. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, they do go to that trouble where like, I mean, they really are superheroes. I think I think that that's part of the uh, part part of the, the genre, but not it's a path dependence thing, I think. Right. I wrote an article a long time ago about. Uh, I am legend versus uh, was it versus Twilight or Blade where it's like different I like different ideas of like, is this a vampire movie or is it not a vampire movie? Well, oh, I think it was Twilight because it's like, well, 
it starts as a romance and it sort of becomes a vampire movie and it starts as a vampire movie. The point being that like this starts as a street racing movie and gradually becomes a superhero series. But be- even though so many of the moving parts have been replaced by superhero moving parts, there's still this anchoring in the sense that they are criminals, right? That they like live, that they sort of live in this weird relationship with the law. Or let me, I guess a better way of saying it is that they aren't seen as superheroes by people. Like, like sort of sort of meaning the meaning of these characters is that they're not seen as, you know, people people will say with a straight face that there are like aren't enough, you know, not enough, but that there aren't a lot of uh, uh, there aren't any like superhero movies of color, you know, and it's like, well, what about the Fast and Furious movies? Those are superhero movies of color. And like mm-hmm. there's like, well, they're not superhero movies. Right. But it's like, well, they did save the Pope from a giant rolling neutron bomb on fire in, in a you know colossal action scene that ended with nobody dying. Like, I don't know right. any other movie where that happens than a superhero movie. And right? I, um, I do think that's a useful distinction because although superficially it might seem like what's happened is they become spy movies. Yeah. But if this was Mission Impossible, like there's there's people getting shot all the time in Mission Impossible. Like Ethan Hunt is not against taking lives by any means. But I do think the Fast and the Furious crew, like when they take on that Italy mission, they're not going to like shoot the driver in the head. They're going to gas the driver and then maybe toss them out of the car. But in a way that you see that they sort of land and they roll to a gentle stop. Yeah. You got like, a little, little top spin when you get them out of the side of the car right. and have to the lane safely. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean to trivialize like issues of representation, but just rather that this movie kind of these, this franchise kind of stands out in a lot of ways uh, from other franchises that it is actually like kind of similar to in a lot of ways, such as the entire Marvel cinematic universe. Right. But, uh, but yeah, it is interesting that they don't go into it with those sorts of plans is, is the question sort of like how many, many automotive related crimes can like be happening in the world over this course of this time interval on this scale, right? Like, like uh, how many sort of broad daylight Lamborghini heists can like even be happening? Uh, well, like how, I want to, I want to get back to, this is related. I want to get back yeah. to the idea of, of the suffering that Jason Momoa yes, yes, has yes. planned, right? Because yes. the whole idea is supposed to be like, this has been a long gestating almost the way that like, before Thanos showed up in in uh you know the Infinity War, he was teased for years that the, as this the other like there's this threat that's out there. He is planning something and he is coming and eventually he will be here, right? And you could almost imagine, assuming these these movies were planned years ahead of time, where like Jason Momoa is sort of like hovering, like watching. You know, there, there's there's after credits uh, teasers like at the end of like Fast Seven or Fast Eight, where Jason Momoa is like watching everything on like security cameras. Just be like, ah, uh, Vin, very soon we'll we'll be seeing each other, <laughs> and just sort of like hovering in the backgrounds. Um, but then the question is like, okay, so what is it that he's been planning? What what is the nature of his revenge, insofar as it actually does hold up, as as a cognizant plan of you know to some extent you have to be like, ah, he's kooky, he's he's borderline well, insane, so it doesn't wants, have to make sense. He wants to steal the god's eye, right? Which will give him the ability to surveil all these people. But that doesn't happen in this movie for a while, right? He sets the plan. He sets the plan into motion to get Cipher, and then, but he doesn't get the God's Eye. Where does he right? get God's Eye from? He gets it. Does he get it from uh, Miss Misande has created created the God's Eye originally? Yeah, and did what? Well, didn't Cipher have it at one point? But now she doesn't have it anymore. Yeah, yeah. she's a bad guy. She definitely doesn't have it. I uh, want well, maybe maybe it's, maybe it's like he's taking over because okay, maybe it's two different things. But the point is that like. He's trying to seize control of technology that will just allow to get him. Vin Diesel? Well, not just, I mean, presumably to also get uh, The Rock, I suppose. But, like, I guess 
if but if he wants to torture all of them, he has to know where they are, I guess, and but find he, everybody them. knows where they are. They they have they, they have a they, publicly even, listed address that is a bunch even of even when their house was blown up, they yeah. rebuilt it exactly the same brick for brick. <laughs> like just walk down the street, and when you see the McLaren in front of the split level, like that's where that's where it is, right? Um, I guess Matt could even tell you where in Los Angeles it is, probably. Um, At what point? When the SWAT team gets sent to their house, is that that's not Jason Momoa, right? That's the agency deciding to like burn the bridges with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's so yeah. That's Jason Momoa is not trying to kidnap his son. Although that you could argue that just, though he is though Jason Momoa is trying to kidnap his son time. later. Yeah, because you have to remember everything the agency does that's ordered by Tad, that's ordered by Reacher, Jack Reacher. is actually being ordered by Jason Momoa, which you don't know is happening at the time that it's happening. Right. right. Although yeah. he could, could, it just feels that why did he just show up at the barbecue in the opening scene and just like gas everyone from the air, uh, and then take everyone in Rita Moreno? Because then I mean, it I becomes an Adam was- West Batman movie. <laughs> it's just like they've all like they they open up their their coronas and just purple knockout gas comes out of them. And all then of them. they're all turned into a powder. Each one yeah, is turned into a powder, and they're a different yeah. color, <laughs> different color powder. Yeah, and, no, no, you great. know what? I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a real point, and I'm curious what oh, you guys think. No, I mean, I, like I've been sort of. I, I feel like when we sort of like uh, we joke about like the the sort of the overly complicated sketchy nature of the revenge. Yes, it's yes, a, yes. We're, we're being half facetious, but I honestly, and this is going to sound silly when I say it, but I, I believe it's true that like the last five fast and furious movies, I feel like there actually was like a pretty clear and compelling reason for the things to happen to be happening. Yes. Like in seven, it's like somebody is coming to kill us for revenge of the previous movie. We need to get to them first. That's seven. Eight is like, Vin Diesel has become a bad guy. Nobody knows why, but like now we need to deal with that. And then it turns out there's a reason why he's become a bad guy. And it's like, oh no, how could we, how could we help him? How could we get rid of the blackmail that's making him do bad things? And then nine is like, okay, I have, now we have a long lost brother and the long lost brother is evil. And like, we need to revisit our past and like figure that out. So like, those are like really compelling personal reasons why you need to do the ridiculous action sequences. Right. And like, in order to resolve these things, we need to send a car into space. Um, whereas this is the first movie where I felt that it was like a really forced excuse for the crazy things to happen. Like I, first of all, we've done the guy wants revenge movie before that was fast seven is yeah. the guy wants revenge for the previous movie. But at least Jason Statham's revenge was extremely straightforward, which is like, I'm going to try to kill you all immediately. And you know, he like shows up and tries to kill the rock and the rock just barely survives. And he shows up and like blows up the diesel's house. And everyone is like barely surviving. And every time Jason Statham sees them, he attempts to kill them. He shoots a rocket launcher at them and they have to drive the car out of a skyscraper to survive. Right. Whereas right. Jason Momoa is playing some super complicated game where it's like, no, I, I just want to like make you jump through hoops before I kill you. But I'm going, that'll be like three days later that I decide it's time to kill you. And I feel like they sort of fig leaf it by being like, well, he's a little bit crazy. So yeah. yeah, like it's not it's not the most logical plan, but you know theoretically, what he's trying to do is just like make life difficult for them and then kill them. I feel like there's a lot of stories like this these days where there's something there's some left out detail, and there's enough mystery box stories that made me think, oh, that left out detail must be really important to the plot, right? That sort of missing explanation must be some revelation that's going to come later and is going to explain kind of why this is all happening. 
Uh, and then sometimes that happens and sometimes it just really doesn't. Right. There's just, oh, no, there's there's not actually going to be any sort of secret revelation at the end of Game of Thrones. Right. Like, it's I just, mean, it's just going to end. Right? Like if we if we believe the uh, the, uh, you know, the story about the earlier version of the movie originally. Momoa is uh, brothers with the guy who's the head of the CIA, and presumably this is like a lot bigger than just getting revenge on Vin Diesel. But they they purposely walk that back and and make their link a little more tenuous. Now maybe they're saving it as a revelation for the next movie, but maybe they just figure Jason Momoa doesn't need that much backstory. He doesn't need that much motivation, and it doesn't need to completely make sense why he's decided to like. I don't know, send two helicopters to pull Vin. Like if he successfully pulled Vin Diesel's car off the ground, what next? Would they drop him in the ocean or would they like carry him? to? Like it's unclear what Jason Momoa wants to happen there. Right. Well, if this were a season of 24, I'd say we're at about 10 a.m. And that like we're going to find out. <laughs> Wait, what like, time? They don't all start at midnight, you know? No, that's true. I don't know when, when maybe Are you start. Are started, started at midnight? No, no, we're, we're maybe about five or six hours in and we're just about to find out who the second villain is. Right. It's like it's like it's almost too cliche. Right. It's like, oh, somebody wants revenge against Dom Toretto. Take, get in line. Right. Like like you and everybody else. This is not the first time where we've seen somebody need, you know, even even somebody who is related by blood from a villain in a previous movie coming for revenge against Dom Toretto for what he did to his family is also something that has happened before. And so if this movie is sort of about going through cycles and then dislodging yourself from the cycle and kind of do you land safely in some sort of new stable reality, I would have to think that like there's there's either a reason why Jason Momoa is doing this that is in the service to a larger agenda or the fact that Jason Momoa has done this will create a larger will like open the door for a larger problem that will have to be addressed in the subsequent two movies is what I hope. Right. That like, oh, you know, it looks like Dom Toretto is off the map. Time to get all our Ferraris together and steal the Louvre or something. I don't know. Steal the winged victory uh, that that Rather loves so much at the Louvre. Uh, but no, I mean, like what? It's, it's time to sort of, you know, take control of all the cars in the world. Now that Dom Toretto is gone. Now that we've compromised the agency. Right. Like now that, that everything is in shambles. Or is it like, okay, now I'm going to double cross Jason Momoa. And oh, take God. So you're saying the real villain is Elon Musk. <laughs> That's a safe bet in most movies these days, right? <laughs> okay. uh, but no, I just, I'm just hoping because I agree with you. I think it's a hope. I think it's somewhat of a vain hope. But I think it's a hope that there's a bigger bad that's going to show up in the next movie. And you already mentioned it with like, oh, it's Vin Diesel's mom or something, which sort of feels like. Uh, Jason's mom for Friday the 13th like oh that's a character now great um but uh but yeah like that there's going to be that because this is not a movie like this is story is not a complete story it's like 10 different first acts all like I mean, strung they don't out even get other, the right? team to, right if this movie's yeah. about if the series is about one thing it's about a bunch of drivers working together yeah. and none of that happens right right like except for in Italy there is no other scene where there are like multiple cars on the road Working in tandem, I suppose right. very briefly, uh, uh, you know, a Cena. Well, it happens. It happens. Brother. It happens all the time. But it, they're all bad guys, right? They're that all like true. convoys of bad guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is interesting that, like, on the one hand, Jason Momoa seems to be like a very local crime lord in Rio, but on the other hand, he operates on like the scale of like a, like a Bane in The Dark Knight Rises, yeah. right? Like an international <laughs> terrorist yeah. who has the ability, like. You know, I, I like what Pete is saying, which is like, okay, so let's say that at the end of the first scene of Fast 11, he thinks everyone is dead. He thinks Vin is dead. 
he thinks he succeeded. It almost feels like what has to happen next is he gets on the floor with Reacher. It's like it's time to launch phase two. Yeah. Right. Like there must be something else because it it, w- it would be so weird, but kind of hilarious if Jason Momoa was like, time to go back to Rio and just enjoy retirement. Yeah. <laughs> just like, like go to street race, like, like yeah. do flat boy and street races. Movies? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it, it feels like there must be like, you don't organize something this big without having like, you know, the heist of the century behind it. And yet, like based on everything we've seen so far, all of this was just about, you know, closing the book on Dom and the family. Um, but yeah, like I do, I do sort of agree, but at the same time, I mean, there's nothing that could be satisfying that like what he wants to steal money. He wants to blackmail, you know, whatever it is, is not going to, is going to feel like another just ticking clock that gives people an excuse to like, I don't know, hang glide on a car or whatever it is. He wants to bring all the male strippers back. For one last, you know, one last well, we did great that. We show. Did that movie. Oh, God. sorry. Now yeah, sorry. Yeah, that was that was movie. that was too fast, too furious. Sorry, that was yeah. The, <laughs> yeah, magic, well, no, right? Because it's like after fast, uh, after uh, fast and furious, fast X comes fast XL. <laughs> You know, and yeah. then comes fast XXL. I, I mean, <laughs> I think we're That's right. Good. I think we're right to, uh, I think we're right to, you know, kind of close it, close it up here on a, on a, just a sort of a, what could they possibly do? You know, what could they possibly yeah. do in the next movie? You know, this was not a complete, this was not a complete movie. It had enough that for me, it wasn't like most part ones I really hate, uh, because they seem like an advertisement for the other better movie that I would rather be watching. Um, but this had enough that I didn't, uh, uh, I didn't mind it. Uh, though, yeah, when you, when, when, uh, I think Matt's point about like, yeah, you know, Vin Diesel was probably not on set with the other guys a lot, right? Like there was this side quest through London, which I didn't totally understand. There was the, all, all this other stuff and, and, and the crew didn't come together. So obviously, I guess our prediction for Fast 10, 10, 10 part two, 10 dot, 10 dot two, 10 XX, XI. Uh, is that, uh, um, is that the, you know, the crew has to, has to ride together. That's the, uh, that's the, the one thing that we know is going to happen. Well, we might have to leave it there. Thanks uh, everyone for listening and thanks very much, Matt, for, for coming on. Uh, and thanks, thanks Pete as ever. I, I, I don't have podcasting friends. I have podcasting family. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really great to, uh, to, you know, to do this with you week in, uh, week out, uh, as we crack our coronas and, uh, you know, join hands, bow our heads to say grace. Uh, you know, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Till then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't. thinking at one point that triple x was going to come out like xander cage was just going to show up i don't know i got that vibe like a twin as like a clone no just another guy who happens to look like vin diesel uh who shows up in that coat because when they were in like the favelas or whatever i was like oh yeah this looks like a scene from the beginning of triple x3 
uh, Return of Xander <laughs> Cage. So maybe he's just going to walk up. And uh, I hadn't occurred to me that you'd have to come up with some sort of in-world reason for why they were played by the same actor. Mm. Other than just like look away. <laughs> you don't have to, I guess. <laughs> The obligation is is a tricky concept to get in situations. Hey, Dominic Toretto, welcome to the Xander Zone. <laughs> Riddick! <laughs>